Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Audible, the world's top provider of downloadable audiobooks. And if you'd like to download a free audiobook of your choice as part of a 30-day trial, just go to audibletrial.com slash teacherluke or click an Audible logo on my website. Okay, right. Now let's start this new episode and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? I hope you're all uh, fine as usual. Now then, here's a new episode. And this one is number 402. And it's called The Rick Thompson Report. It's another Rick Thompson Report. That means basically that my dad is back on the podcast in this episode. And in a few moments, you're going to hear our conversation, which I recorded with my dad uh, last week on the Thursday, the 17th of November, 2016. Just a week ago. And in the conversation, we talk about lots of things, including these subjects. So we start by talking about the weather, naturally. Then there's a bit about the rules of international cricket. Then a Brexit update, including details of the recent UK High Court decision regarding the government's power to trigger Article 50. Article 50 is a piece of legislation, it's actually part of the Lisbon Treaty, um, that when triggered begins the legal process of the UK's exit from the EU because we're not actually out of the EU yet um, despite the, the results of the referendum uh, we have to wait for the government to trigger article 50 and then the whole process begins properly trigger article 50 it sounds that sounds to me like something from Star Wars episode 3 Revenge of the Sith trigger article 50 in fact It feels like the political narrative these days is getting more and more similar to the plot of a Star Wars prequel, with the general sense of an impending journey towards the dark side, lots of complex negotiations with tr shadowy trade federations, and insidious political manoeuvring, which is a pity, isn't it? Trigger Article 50. In Star Wars Episode 3, it's... Um, Execute Order 66. Execute Order 66, which is an order by the evil Emperor Palpatine to have all of the Jedi assassinated by their own soldiers. Execute Order 66. Yeah, what does he say? He's like, the time has come. Execute Order 66. Like this. The time has come. Execute Order 66. The time has come. 
execute Article 66. Sorry, order Article 50. Execute, trigger Article 50. Yes. Uh, But no, this isn't Star Wars, of course. We'll have to wait until December uh, for that to to, to happen. Yes, there's a new Star Wars movie in December. Yes. We all know. We've all seen the trailer. Now, um, going back to the Rick Thompson report, you will also hear my dad's views on the presidential election result in the USA, of course, uh, and also some stuff about the UK's right-wing press. That's the the newspapers. Um, Some stuff about the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year, which is post-truth. We talk about post-truth politics and general political trends uh, across Europe and uh, other regions at this time. Now, at uh, at one point, the podcast gets interrupted when someone rings my dad's doorbell. Ding dong, you know, when someone rings the doorbell. And it turns out to be a lost, uh, a lost postman, uh, which is actually quite a welcome break from all the depressing post-truth politics. Uh, so my dad goes to answer the door. And then when he comes back, we somehow end up talking about the idea of a giant flea jumping over St. Paul's Cathedral. Uh, There's a bit more, then, about the joys of international cricket, uh, the music from the classic Russian video game Tetris, and how a cup of tea is sometimes the best solution to almost any problem. Language-wise, this episode gets quite technical in places, especially when we talk about the UK's constitutional, legal and political frameworks. So watch out for lots of big words and big phrases relating to constitutional law, the inner workings of government, and even more complicated than both of those things, the rules of international test match cricket. Um, So depending on your level of English and your familiarity with those topics, this might be a difficult conversation to follow. Um, But we all know that uh, these challenges can be good for your English. Um, Now, you might try transcribing some of the uh, minutes some minutes of this episode. If you're interested in doing that, just go to the transcript collaboration page on my website. Um, Or you could, you know, try some shadowing or any other techniques for active listening. Um, Alternatively, just sit back, relax, have a cup of tea and enjoy the company of my dad for a little while as we try to work out what's going on in the world. I'll talk to you again briefly on the other side of this conversation, but now you can listen to The Rick Thompson Report. This is The Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. Okay, I can hear you and I can't see you. Okay, which is probably for the best. It is, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I've started recording. Um, and so, hello, Dad. Welcome back to the podcast. Oh, it's nice to be back. Uh, how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. A little bit chilly. It's getting cold here in the UK. Yeah, really? Some rain about to arrive, uh-huh. which is not unusual. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's right here in Paris. It's very similar. Um, it's been drizzling this morning, um, and uh, now the, the sky appears to be clearing, but uh, you never know. It could start raining at any moment. Yep. Well, I've been listening to uh, international cricket. England are in India playing a test series. That's an international series against the mighty Indians. And it's hot there. Really? Hot and humid. 
Where, where's so, the Where's the match taking place exactly? I'm not sure. Somewhere on the coast. Okay. And uh, so, what's going on? Is this the the first match in the series? It's, uh, it's the first day of the second second match. The first one was drawn. The this one, uh, India have won the toss, which is a good toss to win, and they are three hundred and sixteen for four. So they're already in a position where it looks like they can't lose. So it might be uh, another draw. It, it, these um, these matches in India are a bit strange because in the first day or two when the wicket is easy to play on they score huge scores which makes it difficult to get a result but we will see we will see can i just say that i imagine that no one understands what the hell you're talking about at this point there will be people out there who uh, are cricket fans there will be many more who are completely baffled but it's a great game did you know uh, did you know that cricket is apparently the, the world's second most popular sport well, I'm not really surprised since it's uh, it's played with such enthusiasm in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Australia, South Africa, Britain, um, various other countries, and and uh, it is massively popular in in South Asia. Yeah, yeah, it is um, fantastic game, but difficult to understand if you uh, haven't played it or if you didn't grow up watching it. it it's it's uh, probably a complete mystery. It's an extraordinarily complicated and subtle game, and um, that's make what makes it so so interesting. There's there's so many different little things going on in a game of cricket that you have to really understand it to appreciate it. Sometimes the games are like five days long. Yes, they days? are. They, they, this is this is one of those. Uh, this is what they call a test match. It's a full international. It lasts for five days. I remember once talking to an American friend. He said, you mean the game goes on for five days and they don't even guarantee a winner? I said, yes, that's exactly right. So um, it, the, the game itself is uh, is as interesting as the final result in many ways. Mm, right. So it's all about the taking part. It's not about the winning. Well, I wouldn't say that exactly. I mean, especially when we're playing Australia. Our uh, great rivals. Right. Uh, yes, that's the biggest rivalry that we have, isn't it, Australia? It is, yes. Every two years, we play the Australians in a, in a huge um, match, a series of matches, in fact, called the, uh, the Ashes. That's right, the Ashes series. Um, when's the next Ashes happening? I uh, don't know. I, think, it, it, um, I don't you... think it's this year. It must be next year. Okay, all right. Well, I think, to be honest, to give the, the, uh, the subject of cricket a good shot, I'd need to do a whole episode on it. <laughs> well, I don't know whether your audience would stay tuned for a full episode on cricket. I don't know, you know, they might. <laughs> they might. I think that, um, I don't know, I, I'd like to try it as a challenge to see if I can do an episode where I explain the appeal of cricket and see, see if anyone actually manages to listen all the way to the end. Oh God! I think it'd be rather difficult without illustration. I mean, you know, you have to you have to see what you're talking about. But that's that would be the challenge: being able to put into words um, this complex thing without being able to draw diagrams and things. I think I quite enjoy that sort of challenge. I think that you know that's quite interesting. One for the future. Yes, one for the future. Um, I thought that we would uh, talk a little bit about uh, recent news, as we often do when you're on the podcast. So I, I thought that we could perhaps pick apart some of the big news stories uh, of the of the moment, and then just try to understand what's been going on. Um, so, uh, do you mind? Do you mind talking about? No, no. The news? I think um, I think that's what a lot of people are talking about. What's been going on um, in 2016, which I think is turning into a year to forget. <laughs> It'll be glad to see the back of it. Why is that? 
Oh, I think it's been a, a very weird year. And um, obviously, uh, as your listeners may know, I'm dismayed at the idea of Brexit. Um, and I'm fairly dismayed about the notion of President Trump. And uh, you add to that all sorts of other things that are going on. Um, it's uh, the, you know, the refugee crisis has been handled badly and we have had uh, all the good people have been dying off as well. Right. Um, you know, people like David Bowie and, and uh, Leonard Cohen and, and others. And you think, uh, how come um, they're all popping off and the bad guys are, are still alive? Yeah, it doesn't seem fair, does it, really? Um, now, okay, the big big things to talk about. It's it's all a bit heavy, but um, you know, let's see see what we can do. So, I suppose. So, you mentioned Brexit there, which we've talked about before. It seems to be the theme that we always talk about. There's also the uh, the presidential election, which I've already spent a fair amount of time talking about. Uh, but I'm interested to to get your uh, point of view on it. Let's start with uh, Brexit then. What's the what are the latest developments? The last time we spoke, we talked about how um, you know the referendum had had happened and uh, the vote was to leave, and then uh, Theresa May became the new prime minister, and uh, she basically was talking about a hard Brexit, which is this sort of difficult process of pulling out of the European Union while also pulling out of the single market. And uh, basically the two um, issues were immigration, like controlling immigration and uh, dealing with whether we would be in or out of the single market. And hard Brexit would be cutting immigration and also leaving the single market, which would be... Yes, a- I think that's it in in simple terms. The, um, uh, the, the hard right press here... Uh, are relentlessly saying we should just leave, we should just get on with it and leave, uh, which is um, a bit daft, a bit stupid, really, because um, if we don't have any kind of a trading agreement with the EU, it'll be economically extremely bad news. And um, I, I think uh, Theresa May doesn't really know what to do. But the latest development is a legal one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Britain, to start the two-year negotiation on the terms of leaving have to trigger Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty. And um, the High Court, uh, after being challenged about whether the Prime Minister can just do that without uh, a Parliament vote, mm-hmm. the High Court has said it would be uh, illegal um, not to have parliamentary approval of triggering Article 50. Mm-hmm. The government has appealed that, and it will go to a hearing, a four-day hearing in the High Court, starting on the 5th of December, my prediction is the Supreme Court will. That's the Supreme Court will. Um, there are there are eleven judges in the Supreme Court considering this. They'll deliver their verdict in January. Apparently, I am quite sure they will confirm the High Court decision yeah. that there has to be a Parliament vote before you can trigger Article Fifty. Um, I I don't know what will happen then, but um, we know that a majority of members of Parliament, uh, particularly uh, the Scottish MPs and many Labour MPs. Um, don't think we should be walking out of the EU, but I, I don't think they will vote against the referendum result. So uh, it'll be quite interesting. Then you have our second house, the House of Lords. The House of Lords is strongly against Brexit, uh, but they are also unlikely to actually stop it, that they might delay it. So it's a bit of a mess. Um, uh, Theresa May has said that she will trigger this 
start of the process by the end of March, but she may not be able to if there's a lot of legal stuff going on in the meantime. So um, we're in this kind of strange uh, phony war situation where you can't properly negotiate until this has happened, um, but uh, we don't know when it's actually going to happen. Okay. Uh, I mean, that's the technical side of it. The, the the other side, of course, is that it's profoundly depressing that um, uh, all the problems and difficulties that the UK will face in this process were never put before the public who voted in the referendum. And um, there's some evidence that some of the people who voted to leave are now suddenly realising that it wasn't a good idea. But I think it will happen and um, it, it's uh, not going to be good for the country. And I think it's actually... Not good for the EU either. Right. It's the start of a trend, Luke, what we're seeing. And I think in in years ahead, people will look back on this year and say, you're seeing a big shift, a a big trend, which is um, uh, a wobble in in democracy, as we understand it, a wobble in um, the the way uh, the big institutions under globalisation Mm-hmm. are reacting so i mean the trend is that that as as many of your listeners will know that there's a move towards nationalism in many countries many european countries certainly yeah and we're going to see that un- unfold in the next few months i mean we've we've just had a uh, a kind of anti-EU, pro-Russian uh, president elected in bulgaria but uh, the the i don't think that is going to be all that significant to Bulgaria's position in the EU. But uh, we have in December, Austria have their rerun presidential vote and the uh, anti-EU far-right candidate Norbert Hofer is possibly going to become the Austrian president. Mm -hmm. Then in, in December, Italy has a referendum on constitutional reform and their Prime Minister Renzi said he'll resign if it doesn't work. But the the, the right, uh, Salvini and, and the Grillo, who is the Populist Party, are uh, moving ahead in the polls and they're campaigning against it. So Renzi might be in big trouble next month. Um, the Netherlands have got uh, an election in March next year and the far right are uh, strong in the polls with Gert Wilders. Uh, he's uh, anti-EU, pro-nationalist. Um, then you'll have uh, the presidential election in France in April. The first round looks likely that uh, Marine Le Pen uh, will get through to the final round. Um, she's uh, polling very well. And, and it's all a trend of um, countries basically going nationalistic, uh, anti-establishment, anti-EU, anti-immigration. And um, it's very depressing because... Um, Suddenly, the idea of a democratic EU, which is tolerant, is looking um, very rocky. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So I just, just don't want to depress everybody. <laughs> I think the idea of Luke's English podcast <laughs> is to entertain while people listen to good spoken English. But it's very difficult to be entertaining when you're asking me what's going on. Yeah, of course. Yeah, this is the this is the the the, the issue, the problem I'm facing at this point, which is that uh, you know I, I can't help talk about these things because they seem to be so important and significant. Well, of course, everybody is talking about Trump uh, because it's not long since he was elected. And- and um, it is extraordinary. I mean, it, it is an extraordinary story mm-hmm. um, that this, uh, you know, 
TV game show host and uh, uh, self-made uh, bogus multimillionaire. I'm sorry if anybody is a big fan of Trump out there, but I'm not. Um, well, he's been I, I, bank- bankrupt several times, leaving all his suppliers in deep trouble. Uh, he's he's a, a man with no qualities to be an American president, no whatsoever. And yet here he is, he's been elected. So we say, what the heck is going to happen next? Well, um, we don't know. Uh, some people think that he will morph, that means change, into uh, a presidential person. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff he said in the campaign you can forget about because that was just campaigning. I'm not so sure. I don't think the leopard can change his spots. And here is somebody who is volatile, unpredictable, says the first thing that comes into his head, doesn't worry about lying, boasts about not paying his taxes, uh, is uh, sexist. He might appeal to Midwest lorry drivers, but he doesn't appeal to me. Uh-huh. Right. Well, I'm, you know, some people are still, obviously, plenty of people still don't understand why um others uh, are are upset about the election result you know many people i've seen online are sort of saying why why is everyone so upset about trump um so i don't know it's it's not our job to try and convince people um about this I'm, i you know i guess on this in this particular episode and in fact any episode we're just giving our opinions i suppose indeed it is absolutely my opinion and i know that others hold different ones yeah. and i hope they, those people don't get upset when i when i basically point out that um what i'm saying is just fact that uh, uh, trump has no experience of diplomacy no no experience of government never been elected to anything before uh, it looks very much like he's a an arrogant bully he's also a little ignorant which is a dangerous combination and he's got a temper and uh, he doesn't seem to have much respect for the truth and uh, you'd say if this is the american president elect uh, it's almost beyond belief but the argument here is that uh, people will say well it's just democracy the people have spoken so if the people have spoken and chosen him there must be a reason why i mean we could say that they've all been duped that they've all been sort of given misinformation and and stuff like that but um i think that that's a bit patronizing isn't it to the to the people who voted for him or is it i don't know why did why do you think um he won this election uh, obviously the commentators have been writing endlessly about this in the last uh, few days um and i think most of them talk about the um the white working class feeling uh, that they haven't uh, had any benefits from um the obama years and they wanted a change right so it was definitely a vote for change as opposed to hillary clinton who represented um you know the 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 establishment that hadn't given them what they want uh, interestingly i don't think the commentators have actually talked about the uh, financial crash of 2008 sufficiently. It's only eight years ago, and um, it seemed fairly clear to me and others that it was going to herald a a 10-year slump, and uh, it has done a decade of uh, very little growth uh, because the banks all blew a fuse. The bankers have been playing roulette with our money and lost and we had to bail them out. When I say we, I mean the taxpayers across the Western world had to bail them out. And it meant that governments didn't have any money. So they, they, they had to cut public expenditure drastically, and that affects the less well-off much more than the well-off. And we've also seen um, the ruling elite, if you want to call them that, the bankers and the politicians, uh, just getting richer. 
Uh, and that is a, a, a dangerous state to be in for any length of time that uh, people think that the governing parties and the financial establishment don't care about them. Yeah. And uh, it's ironic that they vote for uh, a billionaire who has never shown any indication of caring for poor people himself. Right. But they perceive him as being um, a vote against the political establishment that they feel doesn't care about them anymore. That is right. Um, now, do you, do you know, this might sound like um, uh, an unrelated point, but do you know about the Oxford Dictionary Words of the Year? Uh, yes, I, I think um, I think Brexit's in there, but also post-fact, right? Post-truth. Post-truth, post-truth that's it. This post-truth. Is, this is the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year, and, you know, um, I, I think I'm going to talk about this in another episode, and I'll go through all the words. But essentially, Oxford, um, across both American and British English now, um, have uh, decided you know, that every year they, they introduce a number of words into the dictionary and they've released their list of the top 10. And the number one word, um, their word of the year is post-truth. It must be a hyphenated word, surely. Isn't it two words? It is. It's, it's a hyphenated word, post-truth. Uh, and, yes, and, so and, it's, and it's an adjective, apparently, and it, and it typically collocates with the word uh, um, uh, politics. So post-truth Yes, politics. it's also era. I mean... I don't know who's used it first, but it was very, uh, very good word to use about what's been happening in 2016. We're entered the post-truth era. Mm-hmm. And I think what they mean is that uh, this thing, was it Goebbels who said, if you're going to tell a lie, make it a really big one. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what we've, we've had in Brexit is people voting to leave the EU after a disreputable campaign by the Leavers, which was full of untruths. And um, I think you'll find that um, already President Trump is um, forgetting about some of the big, bold promises he made in the campaign trail. So what we are in is a a post-truth era. You can say anything you like, and and as long as people believe you, that's it. You'll get elected. Or that these decisions are based on a sort of gut feeling or emotional response, which is far harder to put your finger on really yes it's also very simplistic that uh, if you just do lots and lots of simplistic and dramatic attention grabbing slogans mm. um it doesn't actually mean anything um to to go around saying we're going to make america great again is fine everybody applauds but what does it actually mean yeah. how what do you mean great again yeah, when was it uh, and great so before? Yeah, when was it well, great? Well, I don't before? know. I mean, some people out there might say it had a golden age. I'm not quite sure when it was. Yeah. Um, can we go back to Brexit for a moment then? You certainly can. Because you kind of flew through very nicely, flew through the, 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 the story there. But I think it might be necessary to break it down a little bit. So um, there was um, a, a case, a claim brought before the High Court, um, which... Um, meant that the the High Court judges had to decide whether or not uh, Theresa May could trigger Article 50 uh, without uh, the approval of Parliament. That's right. right. Can you just tell us a little bit more about this claim, this legal claim? Well, there were a number of individuals, but also, um, uh, I think, political parties that decided to take to the High Court the idea that the Prime Minister could use rather obscure executive powers to uh, trigger the process for us to leave the EU without parliamentary approval. 
Now, the, the, the str very strong tradition here is a parliamentary democracy on any significant change of status uh, with, with Britain and other countries. Uh, it goes before Parliament. Mm. And um, the referendum, and we, we normally don't do referendums in this country, very, very rare. Uh, the referendum was advisory. It was all, every, no one disagrees with that. It didn't have any legal binding status. And having uh, voted to leave by a narrow majority in a referendum, the High Court has said the Parliament clearly must approve the leaving of the EU. What does this and mean? that's what they've said. What does this actually mean, then, that Parliament has to approve it? Well, there has to be a parliamentary vote saying, yes, we, can, we, we agree that you can start the process of leaving the EU, trigger Article 50. Mm -hmm. So Parliament must have a vote on that. OK. Right. Um, so that was the High Court. Now, there's been a, an appeal by... Uh, by the government. By the government, um, saying we don't agree with this decision and we are appealing against it. And now the Supreme Court, as you said, is going to decide. Um, yes, uh, on 4th of December, the Supreme Court judges will gather. They'll hear four days' worth of evidence. Mm -hmm. It'll actually be in public in that uh, it'll be streamed. So anybody can listen really? in. Really? Yeah. And um, uh, then they'll make a decision in January. Um, as I said, I, I predict that they will uphold the High Court ruling because it seems to me that it's entirely clear yeah. that uh, there ought to be a parliamentary vote. Okay, so you think they're going to uphold the ruling, which will which will you know reaffirm that there needs to be a parliamentary vote? And I then, think they will. And then the, all the members of Parliament at some point early next year, we we expect, will have to vote whether uh, or not to trigger Article Fifty. Yes, allegedly. I mean, I don't know this for a fact, but um, it's reported that Downing Street has already uh, drawn up a very, very short motion for the MPs to vote on. Okay, like one or one sentence or something. Yeah, it'll like be this, this House agrees to respect the referendum and trigger Article Fifty of the Lisbon Treaty. Now, you think that the House will uh, vote in favour of uh, the referendum result? It's a very good question. I, I don't know um, exactly how all the MPs are going to behave. Some MPs are absolutely shocked that we should be considering leaving the EU because they know how difficult and damaging it might be. Um, and they might find it very difficult to bring themselves to vote in favour of, uh, of, in effect, in favour of leaving. Right. Um, others obviously will be aware that their constituents voted to leave uh, and will probably go with that. Others might feel they can't, uh, in all conscience, go against the referendum because it would cause some kind of popular uproar. Mm. Uh, and remember that the Prime Minister has said repeatedly that Brexit means Brexit. There is no alternative. We're going to leave. And so I think that in the end, the MPs will, will, will go with it. Um, and then the House of Lords will probably do the same, though they might mess about for a few weeks before they do. So it essentially would be a sort of a, a dangerous decision to to um, go against the referendum result because of what would what what you could end up having in terms of sort of a, the popular response could be. Well, the popular press in this country, uh, as I've mentioned before, is extraordinary. I mean, it is not like the popular press in many other uh, Western countries like Germany, France. Here uh, it is um, very, very strongly 
nationalistic and um they would scream uh if uh, if MPs didn't go with the referendum result you talk we're talking about newspapers here and um i mean i need to do an episode about the newspapers in the uk because uh, there's a lot of stuff that people you know should know about this that there are uh, different national newspapers that have different editorial positions and things like that, and different types of newspaper as well. You've got the sort of broadsheet ones and the tabloid ones. But the right-wing press, as many people call it, um, we're talking about certain uh, papers which have a massive readership. Uh, We're talking about papers like the Daily Mail, right? Yes, we are. Uh, The Daily Express. Indeed. uh, And The Sun. Yes, owned too. by Rupert Murdoch, who also owns the Times. The yeah. Telegraph is um, Daily Telegraph is uh, anti-EU, mm-hmm. and, and the majority of the of the newspapers are anti-EU mm-hmm. and nationalistic. But the, the Mail is particularly, in my view, pernicious. It was quite interesting that when the High Court judges ruled that there had to be a parliamentary vote, the Daily Mail front page the next day had a picture of the three High Court judges. And uh, a headline saying, Enemies of the People. Mm. This seems to me to be straight out of a dictatorship. It's an extraordinary um, front page. Why? I mean, so let, let's just... Let's the just enemies have... of the people. Yes. The high, high court judges who are making a legal ruling. So the, the, the suggestion that the Daily Mail is making there is that somehow the Supreme Court judges are an undemocratic uh, organisation working against the, uh, the will or the, um, the benefits of, of the people in general, right? There's... I don't know what they're thinking. Well, w- what on earth are they doing? I mean... Uh... It's just shocking. Uh, that uh, you know, we, we this is a country founded on rule of law. So they're they're branding the Supreme Court judges as enemies of the people. <laughs> yes, they are they are eminent judges, yes. and um, well, their role is to look at the law and uphold the law. Th- their decision has absolutely nothing to do with whether they are uh, in favour of or against EU. They are actually uh, interpreting the law. I think quite obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing that's outrageous is that uh, our, our country, which is in many ways a founder of uh, parliamentary democracy, mm. um, has always uh, taken the view that we have, um, uh, a, you know, this parliamentary supremacy, that the parliament decides things yeah. and that uh, the law, up, the, the judiciary uphold the laws that are passed by the parliament that's mm-hmm. the system and um to suddenly suggest that the senior judges doing their job is um uh, a phrase that people could look up from the past is actually a phrase used by dictatorships against anybody who disagrees with them right right okay it's a it's a direct it feels like a direct attack against our constitutional framework itself. Yes. Yeah. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. It is. And it, and the Daily Mail wasn't the only newspaper that morning that had a similar line, criticising the judges for being anti-democratic, and uh, there were three others. And this is so difficult to imagine. It happened by coincidence that my 
guess is that the editors rang each other and said, we're going with an attack on the judges. Uh, how do you feel about that? So they uh, have felt safety in numbers. Right. I don't think technically they could be charged with contempt of court, um, which is a serious offence. Uh, but um, I think that they probably did um, have a little bit of a informal chat before they went with front pages criticising the High Court judges. Unbelievable. Um Okay. I don't know that. I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're just speculating. Just opinions. Um, but it, but, it, but it, we're getting a bit technical here, but the fact is that a lot of people have become rather depressed about um, what's going on, not just because, you know, leaving the EU will be economically um very risky and probably bad, mm -hmm. but because of what it's revealed about the divisions in society, mm -hmm. that we we are now a divided society. Um, and uh, we've always been inclusive. We have a history of being a refuge for people who need one. We've always celebrated multiculturalism. Uh, we've always been rational. And uh, and suddenly, it, you know, we've got stuff like this going on. It doesn't seem to be like... Britain, it seems to be like somewhere else. It's a it's a backlash against all of the things you just said, uh, isn't it? Um, people seem to perceive these um, these values of like you know political correctness and inclusion and stuff like that. They perceive that as being somehow um, the cause of of their problems. And uh, I mean, you know, we don't know why people feel unhappy and why people aren't satisfied. Maybe, as you said, it's something to do with the, a, a, a response to the financial crisis and the way that was dealt with. Uh, but it just seems that people are just not happy and, uh, you know, it's an emotional well, response to that. And that's what the whole post-truth thing means, that uh, we're living in a, a, a time where um, it seems people are basing their decisions not necessarily on on the on the truth or the you know the expert opinion but on a sort of an emotional knee-jerk reaction to conditions or yes, perceived it, conditions it, yes i mean um i think it's a, a great pity that um we we've got seem to have got to the stage where experts are um scoffed at Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> experts, bloody you know, experts. They always get it wrong. Bloody experts. So we're now we're now into this post-fact age where facts don't matter. This post-truth age where truth doesn't matter. Um, that uh, ignorance is defeating understanding, bigotry is defeating um, tolerance, and um, I find that uh, profoundly depressing. And it may be that we don't understand why people have. Uh, have decided to reject the so-called establishment, but it's a dangerous game to play uh, that you say anybody who knows anything is to be ignored. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's, I guess it's easy to get very uh, disheartened by this, but uh, I suppose it's just um, the pendulum swings one way and it swings back the other way, and this perhaps is a sign that the pendulum is swinging back towards you know, the, the conditions you just mentioned. But, you know, just like it swung one way, it will eventually swing back again, we hope. Well, well you know? maybe it will. Um, I mean, what we want is to have um, intelligent, well-informed consensus uh, uh, ruling us rather than 
factions and and the faction that is the nastiest and the loudest uh, winning. It, 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 I watched a, a natural history program a little while ago about chimpanzees in the forest. <laughs> yeah, and they they were you know there are tribes of chimpanzees and we the cameras got embedded with this tribe of chimpanzees discovered who was the alpha male and everything else. And when the neighbouring tribe of chimpanzees got too close to their territory, they round an assault on them and attacked them and killed them and eat them. Right. And I'm thinking, we're, we're, we're in grave danger of this tribalism becoming like a tribe of chimpanzees. Yeah. You know, it, 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 you know we're, we're all human beings. And, and uh, the reaction to the ghastly events happening in, in Syria is uh, to build walls. Um, uh, and demonize these these people. Um, what's what's happened to uh, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of sympathy? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, all right, got all so heavy. Well, I know. Okay, <laughs> we'll we'll try and lighten the mood. <laughs> Go back to talking about cricket. Yeah, oh, good or the old weather. Um, good old cricket. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll you know, 2016. It'll be bye bye. Thank you very much, and you've gone. So we'll hope that in 2017 people start coming to their senses and and start, uh, you know, actually discussing intelligently with each other the best way to to proceed. We don't know what the scene will look like in in a few years' time, and you have to, you know, judge it over a period of time. Um, I mean, in if you're you know, a political theorist, you you might have thought that these conditions would lead to a swing to the left right. uh, in the past. Um, you, what you might call the working classes have been characterised as the left. Yeah. It's an intellectual left as well as a workers' left. And um, the, you know, Western democracies have tend to swing a bit before the, to the right, which is pro-business, and to the left, which is uh, more um, labour focused. Uh, yeah, yeah. labour orientated. Well, what we're seeing here is not a swing from the centre to the left, but a swing from the centre to the right. Mm. And mm. I, I mean, I don't know whether there's any vision there. What 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 is this vision? Uh, what what do they philosophize? What is their idea? I mean the. The historians might say, um, and it'll be interesting to see if we live that long, is uh, <laughs> what what actually happened over a long period of time. In eighteen in, in eighty nine, um, the Berlin Wall came down, and and then the Soviet Union collapsed because economically it was seen as a failure by the people living in it, and they wanted their countries to be independent and they wanted to have um, more uh, prospects economically. Yeah. And, and, you know, for, I think, all of those, those countries, or certainly most of them, um, within a generation, their, their countries have been transformed. I've mentioned Poland before. I went to Poland uh, before all that happened and I've, been there since and it's the same in the Czech Republic and to a certain extent in Hungary and other countries that their their um, uh, security, wealth freedom of movement, everything else is transformed um, and then you might say well okay so that that happened but how many years later? 25 years later? 
um, we we are seeing a kind of a, a a collapse of of the the unrestrained capitalism and uh, democracy going wrong in that uh, the the suddenly it's um all the truths are no longer truths hmm. and and i don't know what what the right the nationalists who uh want to reject globalization expect in its place i don't think you can it, globalization can't be rolled back and it's impossible yeah. so what what do they want um and i'm waiting for somebody to articulate uh you know what a marine pen france would actually look like yeah apart from keeping out immigrants yeah how's the whole luke my doorbell is ringing okay um all right then do you want to go and answer it yeah i do (laughs) i'm going to pause the podcast all right so my dad is now going to uh, answer the doorbell um it's very good of him to um it's 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 very good of him to talk to us like this, isn't it? I mean, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to talk about um, all of this stuff, and um, uh, you can see that the the outlook seems to be quite uh, uh, depressing, um, which is a pity, isn't it? Because you know, I always want Luke's English podcast to be um, a, a positive experience and a rewarding experience to listen to, um, but. Uh, Wow. What, I, what we should do, what I should do, right, when <clears throat> when my dad gets back onto the podcast, what I should do is, if, he, if he's willing to continue, I'm going to ask him what he's looking forward to so that we can end on a slightly positive note here um, because we could talk this subject into the ground, you know, um, and uh, we don't have all day. So I'm going to ask him when he gets back, I'm going to ask him what he's looking forward to and... Uh, Hopefully, then we can sort of end the conversation on a slightly brighter note uh, than it is at this point. Um, so, oh, here he comes. He's back again, I think. Hello. I'm back. So, was that anything important? No, it was a bloke trying to deliver a parcel to the wrong address. Okay, what did you say to him? Get out, get out of my house. I did. <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here. Wrong parcel. He's in the wrong street. Wrong? Really? Yeah. Goodness anyway. Me. What's going on, eh? These I, postmen- I sent him away with a flea in his ear. <laughs> <laughs> you sent him away with a flea in his ear? You mean? Oh, he- yes, that's an expression. Yeah? Yeah. Sent mean? him away with a flea in his ear means exactly what happened. <laughs> so if Get you- out of here. Get out of here. How dare you get the wrong street and knock on my door? I pointed him in the right direction in a nice, polite way. He did not have a flea in his ear. Right, of course. I'm sure you were very civil and respectful to him. Um, so to, a flea is an in, a little insect that bites people. I don't know whether... Look, English is full of the most extraordinary expressions. And most of the time, you use them without even thinking about them. Well, of course... But that is definitely one. Being sent, Sending somebody away with a flea in their ear is uh, basically having... Uh, bulled them out. So, I mean, uh, where it comes from, couldn't tell you. But if you do have a flea in your ear, and remember in the old days, <laughs> fleas were quite common and they bite and they itch. If right. you have a, a flea in your ear and it bites you in there, it must be pretty horrible. Yeah. Well, I don't, I, we just need to establish for my listeners what a flea is, you know? It's oh. like, you know, animals get them on their skin. You know, if, if you if you have a cat or a dog, they might run around in the field and come back and they have little fleas. Well, that's ticks, isn't it? They no. get in the, in the field. But a flea is just a small 
biting insect bloodsucker. It's they a bloodsucker. They jump. They, they jump. Yeah, that's they the, jump. That's the thing about fleas. They jump. They're tiny and they jump and they bite, right? And they say that if a flea was the size of a human, it's this... You know, have you heard this? If a flea was the size of a human, it would be able to jump over St. Paul's Cathedral. Have you ever heard that before? Well, I think I have, actually. But, it, it, I mean, um, it's, it gives you a very nice image of a gigantic flea. Leaping over St. Paul's Cathedral. Yes. Which I think is what we all want, isn't it, ultimately? Well, I'd like to see it. <laughs> I think that's maybe what we need. That's the thing that's going to just fix everything. If the spectacle, the pure spectacle of seeing a human-sized flea leaping over a national monument, I think would would somehow bring everyone together, don't you think? Yeah, it would go viral. It would. It would go viral, <laughs> which uh, fleas did go viral back in the... Back in the, what, 16th century? They were very common 100 years ago, fleas. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm glad to say I don't think I've ever been bitten by a flea, but apparently they're not very nice. Our cats used to bring fleas into the house occasionally, do you remember? Yeah, but cat fleas aren't quite the same things as the one that bite humans, are they? Are they? No idea. I'm not an expert on fleas. I'm not an expert on fleas either. Let's change the subject. Well, to send someone away with a flea in their ear means you give someone a strong talking to... That's right. How dare you come to my house and deliver the wrong package to the wrong street? Uh, oh, right. sorry, sorry, Mr. Thompson. Sorry, that, that's right, exactly. Oh, right. So I sent that's him away it. with a flea in his ear. Okay. But yes. you didn't. You actually, you, you were, well, I'm, I didn't. What, I was very nice to him. What did you say? I'm afraid you've come to the wrong street. Uh, I looked at the address in his parcel and said, <laughs> that's the street did along you, where. I imagine a Michael Caine. You see the address. You see the address on that parcel. <laughs> now, do you see the address on the street? They're different streets. Yeah. <laughs> if Michael Caine has done it. Um, so I was, uh, we could, I was just saying we could talk about this forever, but, uh, but uh, we shouldn't. No, uh, we shouldn't. And uh, we've talked about it long enough. And I've probably got everybody so depressed now <laughs> that they, they've, they've all turned off and uh, decided to um, uh, watch a nice video game. What? You don't watch a video game. Do you? No. You? Well, you can, of course. You can watch people play video games on YouTube, and a lot of people do. But um, no, you play a video game, don't you? Oh dear! All right. Yeah. Then. When was the last time you played a video game? I've never played a video yes, game. Yes, you have. Well, I used to play ping pong with you when you were a child. Pong, pong, not whatever ping. it was called. It was just called pong. The thing tennis. with the yeah, the tennis game. Blip, 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 blip. Yeah, blip, pong. And you played Tetris. You got addicted to yes, Tetris. Yes, I played Tetris. And we used to play a game called Who What's Dare... the Tetris music, Lou? What's the Tetris music? I think it's a Russian folk song. Yeah, it's a Russian game. Tetris was invented by a Russian guy. It's amazing. Came out of the Soviet Union. Tetriski. Tetriski? I don't know. I don't know actually what Tetris means. Uh, I'm sure that my listeners can can uh, fill us. Okay. In. Anyway, yes, I admit, I confess, I have played Tetris. Not very well. Um, I was going to just end the podcast by asking you what you're looking forward to, just to be positive. I'm looking forward to the end of 2016. <laughs> I mean, good riddance. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, Christmas will be fun. Family get together. Always good fun. We'll play some stupid games. Mm-hmm. Um, we will not mention the T word 
and uh, we will uh, have a nice time and we'll eat some nice food. We'll drink tea. We'll drink plenty of tea. We'll drink lots of tea. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, and that's to look forward to. And then uh, 2017, it'll be all sunshine and light and everything will be fine again. Yeah. And England are going to win the cricket. Yeah, possibly. The series against India, Ooh, difficult one. We lost the first. So the series, just briefly, is five five days t- matches. Okay, five five day matches. We've just ended the first day of match two. The first one was a draw, which is not unusual in international cricket. Yeah, but um, this one uh, could be difficult to, for England to win because in, India already scored loads of runs. Okay. Loads of runs. So in a few days, that that match will be over, and then there'll be three more five. That's day, right. Three in more places in India. Three more five day matches in different places in India. So I imagine our our cricketers are out there boiling. Right? Yes. Well, they've finished for the day now. And uh, India batted and batted and scored lots of runs and batted and batted. And the most interesting thing that happened was when a dog ran onto the pitch and stopped play. <laughs> they ran, the stewards were running all over the place trying to catch it. <laughs> oh, it's so, so wonderful. I miss cricket, you know. I really miss it. I haven't played cricket for ages. And sometimes, sometimes I'll just be walking around in Paris and I'll just be imagining playing cricket. It's, it's yes, very therapeutic. I know. It's, it's difficult, difficult for non-cricket people to understand the appeal. Uh, uh, to finish off the dog story, they couldn't catch the dog, and it was running around for such a long time that the umpires decided to, well, they'd stop for tea. <laughs> so, so they stopped for tea. Good solution. Dog stopped play. Good solution. When it, you know, when stuff goes wrong, just have a cup of tea. That's always the good uh, solution. So I, that's what I'm going to do. I'm now going to go and have a cup of tea. Okay. And uh, forget about everything else. And just... yes, forget about it all. And, yeah. and, and it's very nice to talk to you, Luke. And um, I hope your 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 listeners uh, haven't been too depressed by me going on about what's going on. Well, I suggest to them that they also have a nice cup of tea and think about the the rules of cricket. It'll take that's your, right. It'll take your mind off everything else. Okay, we'll talk about cricket on another occasion. Yes, yes, that's a good idea. Okay, Dad, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that my listeners enjoy listening to you, um, so thank you. Okay, it's been my pleasure. And uh, I will speak to you soon. Okay. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> So, there you go. That was my dad and me going on about what's going on. Uh, Now, what do you think is going on? Any idea? Get stuck into the comments section on teacherluke.co.uk if you've got something to share about what's going on these days. Now, in the background, you can hear the Tetris music. This one is theme A, because the, uh, the original Tetris game on the Game Boy, the original Game Boy that was released sometime at the end of the 1980s. You know, the big sort of clunky, grey, original Game Boy with the two-tone screen. Classic, absolute classic um, little gaming, handheld gaming device. Tetris was one of the most successful and popular games on the Game Boy. Um, And uh, that version of Tetris had three bits of music that you could choose from. There was theme A, theme B and theme C. And so the one you're listening to now in the background is Theme A, which I believe is a version of a Russian folk song called Korobeniki. Yeah, and now I'm sure that many of you out there know more about it than I do, so I will let you explain the meaning of the song uh, 
and any other details about it in the comments section, including, of course, the, the actually the correct way to pronounce it, because I'm bound to have got it wrong. For me, this music reminds me of journeys in the back of my dad's car when I was younger, trying to get to level nine on Tetris, which was always a surprisingly exciting experience, um, especially when the music gets much faster as you start to run out of time. And uh, that's like so stressful. It just stresses me out just to think about it now. So this is theme A. Not actually my favourite theme. My favourite one was theme B, which uh, which kind of goes like this. Here's theme B. Oh, uh, yeah. This is my favourite one. It's This still gets stuck in my head to this day as I find myself humming this song when I haven't, even when I haven't heard it recently, it's just lodged deep into the back of my brain from all those times playing Tetris in the back of the car or indeed anywhere else. Um, now, if you know something about this tune as well, then you can obviously write a comment on the website. Um, let me and everyone else know uh, what you know about these bits of music because I'm sure that there's a story there somewhere. Um, also, let everyone know what you think about uh, some other things that came up in this episode. For example, what do you think is going on generally in the world today? Go in the comments section and write what you think. Also, you could uh, write about this on a more positive note. Um, what, are you, what are you looking forward to? What are you optimistic about? Is there anything coming up that you're impatient for? And on that note... I'm personally looking forward to seeing the new Star Wars film, as I've mentioned, which is a prequel to the original trilogy. As, as many of you will know, yes, the new Star Wars film is a prequel. Um, it, this one, it's not a sequel to Episode 7. It actually takes place between Episodes 3 and 4. Yeah, they still can't count in the Star Wars universe. Um, because um, basically... So far, they've gone in this order. They went 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 7, and now 3.5. And then after that, it will be 8. 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 7, 3.5, 8. They definitely can't count in the Star Wars uh, universe. But I'm looking forward to it, just because I love the Star Wars universe, and the trailer looks pretty good, although I'm a little bit concerned by the script which seems a bit dodgy in some places. Like there's that bit where the main character goes, this is a rebellion, isn't it? I rebel. This is a rebellion. I rebel. I don't know. It sounds a bit clunky. I'm not, you know, but that's all right. That's Star Wars, isn't it? It's not a Star Wars film with a bit without a bit of clunky dialogue in there. Um, so I expect I'll be talking more about this soon, probably after I've seen the film. Anyway... Just let us know what you're looking forward to exactly. And are you a fan of cricket? Um, have you ever heard of cricket? Have you ever seen a game? Do you play cricket where you live? Do you understand the rules at all? Um, I'm going to post a video onto the website, which um, is quite funny. And you will hear in that video an Australian comedian called Jim Jeffries trying to explain the rules of cricket to a bunch of American people. And naturally, they don't understand it at all. It's far too complicated. And you can just hear them all struggling to, to, to come to terms with the, the, the rules of a game that can last for five days and in which sometimes there is no winner. 
which kind of goes against everything that the Americans believe should occur in a game of sports. You know, most American sports have to be uh, extremely quick, very high scoring, and there has to be a winner at the end. Um, anyway, let let us know what you think about cricket and do you understand it? And is it popular in your country? And then going back to Tetris again, did you used to play Tetris as well? Do you still play Tetris? Um, what do you know about the history of this classic game um, and the music? Do you have any stories to share about Tetris, including how it was developed and the people who created it? Or indeed stories about how you played it and how you used to get that tune stuck in your head and how the, uh, how you'd play the game until you got tetrisitis which is where you close your eyes and you can still see uh, the blocks falling down in front of you yeah i used to get that i'd play tetris all evening um when i probably should have been doing my homework and then i'd go to bed close my eyes and i'd still see the blocks falling it was weird it was like it was horrible like a horrible sort of um Oh, just horrible sort of, I don't know how to describe it really, Tetrisitis. That's the only way to describe it. Anyway, so feel free to get uh, involved in the comments section. Uh, also, don't forget to join the mailing list. That's the best way to get access to the page for the episode where you'll find notes, transcripts, videos, links, other bits of uh, information, um, as well as easy access to the episode archive and the comments section and lots of other things. Um, here's another note about the Transcript Collaboration Team, um, which is now called the Orion Transcript Collaboration Team. Orion, which is nice. I didn't name it Orion. The name was chosen by uh, the current Transcript uh, Project Manager, Antonio, um, apparently because Orion is a constellation of stars in the night sky, and the members of the Transcript Collaboration Team are also a group of stars. That's nice. So the name does seem appropriate now, and I, I, I like it. Orion. So join the Orion Transcript Collaboration Team. Um, they've been doing a really good job um, uh, making transcripts for episodes. Go to the website, hover the mouse over Transcripts in the uh, menu, and then click Transcript Collaboration. You can get all the details there, including contact details for the, the people who are responsible for managing the project. And you can click the red, yellow or green buttons to access the Google Documents where you'll find the, uh, the transcripts um, uh, in progress. Uh, episodes are divided up into three-minute chunks. And you transcribe your three minutes. Other people check your three minutes and make corrections. And eventually the whole episode is transcribed. Um, all right, that's that's the principle. It, it might not be each finished transcript might not be completely perfect, but it's done. And the next step is that I have to then proofread those finished uh, transcripts. So actually, this project rapidly creates more and more work for me. So I'm probably, I'm going to have to go through them extremely slowly. In fact, I am going through them already very, very slowly. And the, the idea is that after I've checked them, I'll publish them on the website. Um, now, it might be necessary for me to employ some proofreaders or something to check the finished scripts. Uh, perhaps I should launch a, something like a Kickstarter campaign to help me fund that or something. But anyway, um, well, certainly you should 
uh, get involved in the transcript collaboration because it's a good way of building these scripts that I can then work with. And also, it's just really good for your English. And ultimately, it's good for you know other users of this website who can use the transcripts to help them uh, improve their English. Now, I got a message from Antonio, uh, who is um, sort of leading the, the project at this point. Uh, I got a message and he talked about it. And I'm just going to read part of his message out. He said to me, um, I laugh a lot when someone corrects my chunk. That's the piece of uh, transcription that he's done. I laugh a lot when people correct, uh, when someone corrects my chunk and I see certain mistakes I do. But I've improved uh, a lot, my understanding, and I can now watch the BBC TV, not only the news, understanding much, much more than before I started transcribing your episodes. Maybe in this area, I'm experiencing the famous breakthrough all teachers speak about. And he said, see you, Luke, and thanks again for your commitment. All right. Thanks, Antonio. Um, and on that note, I got another comment on the website from Catherine Bear, who is uh, still one of the, the, the most frequent commenters on, on the website. Um, um, Catherine has commented so many times on the website that uh, there's almost been a conspiracy theory about who she is and that some suggestion that she's some sort of chat bot created by me, which uh, obviously is um, a lovely idea. I'd love to be able to create a chatbot. Anyway, Catherine was talking about the, uh, the transcript uh, collaboration, and she said this. She said, since I've been proofreading a little bit of the transcripts, I have the feeling that my short-term memory has improved considerably. So, guys, I would encourage each of you to do a little bit of transcribing. Also, shadowing is a nice way to improve not only the short-term memory, but also the sentence stress, intonation, and pronunciation. And if you remember, everyone, I've talked about shadowing before, and, you know, it's a thing that you may have heard of uh, outside of this podcast. Shadowing is where, basically, you listen to something and you just try and repeat it. So you listen to uh, an utterance, like maybe a, a sentence or part of a sentence. You pause and you just try and repeat what you heard. And it helps if you've got some transcription there because you can then check uh, word for word what uh, the person actually said. So, for example, you could go through a section of an episode shadowing part of it, play a little bit, pause, try and repeat what you heard, following uh, exactly the same intonation and sentence stress and pronunciation, just trying to copy it exactly. Uh, this is a form of drilling. It's a form of sort of controlled practice, and it helps with lots of different skills, not just your awareness of, of the, the specific words and the way they're being pronounced, but also it just helps your brain develop that short-term memory, which is really, really important in, um, in, in processing language. Um, so... Uh, Catherine goes. Uh, Catherine went on to say, "I used to speak with a kind of an American accent, but since I started actively listening to Luke's English podcast back in August and uh, doing lots of shadowing, um, like for example, five minutes in one go, a couple of times a day, my English accent suddenly started to switch towards British RP English." Smiley face. Um, so, guys, let's share some personal stories personal success stories related to Luke's English podcast. Um, so that's nice, Catherine, nice idea. And uh, I would uh, I would second that and say, yeah, please do share some personal success stories related to Luke's English podcast, or indeed any other success stories relating to your learning of English. Um, okay. All right, then that's the end of this episode. Um, thank you very much for listening. Take care out there in the, in the world. 
and I will speak to you again soon on this podcast. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.